the stakes were so high. And Bumpy was kind. Yeah. But I went home and my wife had gone to a friend's house to watch it. And she was like, oh, it, it was pretty good. And I was like, I was like, no, it was fucking awful. <laughs> Welcome, friends, to Exec Producer. I'm your host, Noah Pollock. Every episode of Exec Producer offers a deep dive into one of your favorite shows from the point of view of both the producer who dreamt it up and the executive who championed it. Where the idea came from, the hurdles they faced in selling it, and ultimately, how it made it to air and into popular culture. I've worked as an executive at four separate networks, and I've produced and overseen hundreds of hours of television. I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I hope to share some of that wisdom with you. So settle in, turn it up, and enjoy. And please also remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Instagram at EP with NP. So with that, thank you again and enjoy the show. Here we are, we're rolling. We are at the beautiful Four Seasons Hotel in Beverly Hills. This is what apparently 100 episode orders get you. Uh, you know, I'm surprised it's not a suite, <laughs> but we'll take it. We'll take it. Uh, I'm joined today on my left, Shelly Tatro, who... It's a really beloved executive uh, for many years at VH1, where we actually worked together. I had the pleasure of working, not side by side, because she was in New York, we but we had a lot of fun and a lot of success over the years when Shelly was running running the East Coast, and I was out here on the West Coast, not running, but I was here. Uh, and then on my right, Dan Cesario, uh, the producer extraordinaire. Uh, Dan and I did a failed pilot together. We did, a failed pilot that had some complexities that we won't discuss. <laughs> Failed not because of either one of us, you know, for external I think forces. it was a success in terms of how the network felt about it and how we felt about it. The talent might have felt a different way. Yeah, we can talk about that off mic, make it a little DVD extra. <laughs> but uh, but we've been friends ever since and uh, really, really honored that you guys would come and spend some time here today you know, as we overlook uh, some palm trees in Beverly Hills. <laughs> like construction. <you> know. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but the show we're here to talk about today is not a VH1 show. It's not an E show, as Dan and I worked on. It's an A&E show, where Shelley is now. Yeah, for those of you playing at home, the show we're here to discuss is Live PD. Uh, and there's not a lot of live anything on TV, honestly. I mean, outside of sporting events and the news. And this is a show that sort of, uh, in my mind, it bridges that gap between sort of traditional, for lack of a better term, you know, unscripted or reality TV programming with the thrill of live, right? It's like you're watching a you know, a NASCAR race, you know, in some ways waiting for that, for that crash to happen. Right. But, uh, there are a lot of other reasons why the show is successful and, uh, we'll get that, we'll get to that right now. So we're going to start the show as I start every episode, which is with the light bulb. And that light bulb is with you, Dan. What was your light bulb for live PD? So, you know, it was a couple things. I think as a development exec and our development team and a production company, you know, we're always trying to figure out where is the market going versus where has it been? It doesn't take a rocket scientist to sit back and look at the ratings decline. And we always talk for years, the holy grail of how do you create unscripted programming that is on the par with live sports? Right, must be TV. How do you create an event? How do you create a weekly event that people have to show up to that they don't time shift, although people time shift live PD, and that they're afraid to miss and it has water called uh, cooler moments, and it's a must-see program. We have an incredibly close relationship with Shelly. I mean, Shelly was the exec that spearheaded Black and Crew for us while you know we developed that together when she was at VH1. And we had just wrapped up production on another A&E series. That was one of the first things that we did uh, with Shelly when she had gotten to A&E that didn't really work Still a great well. show. Great show. Didn't work. Surviving marriage. Didn't work super well. <laughs> But uh, survival from a ra- show with people from, trying to save their marriages. We the saved a couple marriages, but you know, <laughs> we did save some marriages. Yeah. But maybe uh, broke some up. you know, when you're in production and you have your weekly phone call to catch up on everything, and we just kept that weekly call on the books and we had turned it into a development call. So we were trying to figure out what were we going to make together next. And you know, it was the fall of 2015, and we were on a call. Amy was like, we think we're going to get into live programming. And that was something that always appealed to us as well because we looked at the marketplace and we're like, live is going to be a much bigger player as we move into the future. So we really started spending a lot of time focusing on live and like what would be our live play and also what's a live show that works for A&E. When you think about the A&E brand and what is that show? And you know, we were sitting in a development meeting and one of the development executives brought in an article about officers live tweeting from patrol. 
And that was the light bulb moment. It was if officers are live tweeting from patrol to keep their constituents and the community informed, would they allow us to live broadcast from patrol? Okay, so you have this idea. And I think a lot of the best ideas that I talked about on some other episodes are the ones that are nearly impossible. This falls in that bucket, as does one of your first big shows, which was, you know, bomb squads in Mm -hmm. Afghanistan. Right. So you you come at it from this place of live tweeting and you've got to now, you know, get the constituents on board, obviously the departments, the municipalities, you know, all these. What what did you do next? I mean, did you say it to Shelley? I've got this idea. Or did you get your ducks in a row first? No, we went to A&E and we sold the idea to them in a phone call. We were like, what about live cops? And Shelley and Sean Gottlieb, who also works closely with Shelley, loved it. And they went to Elaine and the team, and Elaine signed on. Shelly can tell more about the behind the scenes of this moment, but my understanding was is there was a lot of people in the organization that that just, didn't think it could ever be done. That just took a flyer on yeah. it. They were like, ah, oh, we'll was. throw a little money at it, <laughs> you know. And you can tell, you know, I mean, as a as a production company and an outside producer, you can tell when you start to get into that negotiation over how much money a network wants to give you to develop, you can tell what their true appetite is. No, but I would say Elaine ran towards it. Like she loves those pants on fire ideas. That's the stuff she runs for. Like when it kicks her in the gut. Like I think it was like those shows that you think, holy hell, how in the world are you ever going to make it? All right, let's just see if we can. But we were struggling with, right, what was going to be our next big after 60 days in, right? We were kind of turning towards, well, what's working? Of course, sports is working. What could we possibly do live that would work for us? And I think when he had that idea, I think everybody on our team was like, holy crap. Like, that's amazing, you know, Elaine especially. But but there are probably other people that were kind of like, all right, throw some money and see if they'll ever pull this off. Because it was, how is he ever going to get access? How is he ever going to make this happen, you know? Well, there's two things. And, and you brought up Bomb Patrol, which is a good comparison because we kind of went through the same thing, you know, as a much younger company. But it was, can we actually get access? And also, is it actually producible? Like, can you actually put together a production design and figure out how we were going to transmit all these signals and do it on a scope and scale that a cable network could afford. We can all sit in our offices and dream up crazy outlandish ideas, but if they can't be produced at a you know at the reasonable correct, price. Yeah, at the correct price, you're dead in the water. So Champagne it was like, show beer budget. Yeah. So it was like really like two concurrent sort of major pieces of development that were going on at the exact same time was A can we actually do this show at the scale we wanted to do it at? Because you know, we would talk to people and they'd be like, you want to be in how many cities? And, you know, we'd be like, oh, I think we have to be in at least six cities. And we have to be following, you know, probably 10 to 12 officers. And they're like, how are you going to direct this show? Like, how do you direct 12 breaking stories at the same time? And then it's also like, how is the network ever going to be able to afford to do it? So we started that process. In early, like, early 2016? No. Late 2015? Uh, late 2015. Like we were already working. Yeah, on before it. we yeah. had gave you any money. Yeah, really. we, we were working on it in like late fall 2015. And then really started ramping up in the winter of 2016. Well, we were on the air by October 2016. Yeah. From selling the idea took a year. over the phone to actually airing was just under a year. Yeah. Do you remember, Shelley? I'm sure you remember the phone call, but do you remember? Well, we had been talking before about, I remember sitting at dinner with you and Carrie McFarland. Remember you were like, how about, because you were just brainstorming live for us. And you were like, how about interview live? (laughs) We were just trying to come up with all kinds of, because he's always brainstorming ideas that could possibly work for us. And and there was a lot of fun with that that idea too. Mm -hmm. But we had struck that down thing while you could watch interviews live anywhere on, you know, like what what could we do that could possibly be different, you know? So he was already brainstorming for us. I don't remember the actual moment. I think we were all like, holy hell, when it came in, you know, because we all had that same reaction. Can you ever pull this off? You know, but if anybody could, he could. Right. Um, and you quickly got, I mean, it took, access took some time. Yeah. But I think you, right It was away, the volume of access. Yeah. So we had some departments on. Quickly. And then quickly. some took a little longer. Yeah. And then, once and then, we started getting people on board, it got a little easier. Right. Yeah. And then once we got up. Although there was a moment in this whole process where we got to July of 2016. So we'd been developing the show for, you know, about eight months. And we had sort of started to line up, getting all of our ducks in a row. So we had figured out the technological solution, which is a whole other story. And we were in a decent place with departments. And then there was that string of events. You know, you had the 
uh, the gentleman that was, you know, killed in Baton Rouge. You have Philandro Castile, who was shot on Facebook Live, you know, and all this stuff happened. And I felt like every day there was like a new controversial police shooting or moment or interaction. And I remember sitting in my office and there was like all the protests going on in New York City. And I mean, I'm sure there was things going on out here in L.A. It was the morning after the Philandro Castile moment. I woke up and I was like, well, we wasted nine months of our life because either the network's going to run away from this or the department. There's no way they're going to listen. Because what you're asking a department to do is take the risk of if you're a chief or a sheriff of a department, your worst moment in your career could broadcast on live television. And for us, it was about full transparency, right? That's what the nation was crying out for at that time, right? Transparency in our policing across the country. And it made a lot of sense. That's something a has always wanted to lean into, right? So it's like, oh, my God, here it is. We're just going to ride along and document. We're not taking sides. If you watch it, so you can, we never take sides. It's like, ride along, see for yourself. It's live. You know, as a viewer, you decide, you know, if you like or don't like what you see or you agree with what you see or not. Yeah, I can imagine you seeing these protests and actually the network, and I don't want to speak for you, Shelley, I'm thinking this is the show we have to do right, now. We That's have to fuel do that. for the fire. For the police department, yeah, but, it's a different story. Yeah, but, but exactly. Also, you know, sometimes networks are risk averse. It's like, do they really want to lean into the hot button issue? Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't always work out in your favor to sort of run towards the fire and embrace it. Well, I so, think that's what's incredible about Annie. It's like so different, right? That that's exactly what they want to do. I think a, like there I, wasn't I, a I, question. Like it was sort yeah. of like, all right, we have to do we this. have to do this. When are we starting? Yeah. I think it's something our audience expects of us. All right. So backing up a little bit, because mm-hmm. you're obviously, you're now, we jumped, we yeah. we're already, <laughs> no, we're already <laughs> in season yeah. five. Yeah. Episode 118. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Cause I can imagine you're in summer, right? The green lights come in pretty quick from there. So stepping back, Live. You want to do live. Mm-hmm. Did you put that siren call out to 100 companies, just your favorite no, companies? No, I think like in the mandate like general... that goes out there, right. there's a conversation about we're interested in if anybody could come up with something that made sense for us to do live. Like, it, yeah, it was part of the mandate. It I, was in the mandate. Yeah. I felt like we sort of were aware it was going to be in the mandate before it ended up in the mandate. Yeah. But, the, you know, but that's how you leverage uh, working relationships you have with networks. Right. It's like if you're working closely with someone, like I want to know – what you guys are thinking before the rest of the world thinks it. Yeah, it's so hard. It's not random live, right? It's got to be what would possibly make sense for us to do live. We've had a lot of other live pitches, but nothing that we were like, oh my God, that's something we have to do. Yeah, do do you remember some of the other live pitches? I don't want to see other live pitches. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. Outside of Dan's live interviews. (laughs) All right. So, okay. So you fall in love with this one for all the obvious reasons, but you think it's impossible. Mm -hmm. Do you remember... Uh, what what were the development steps? Because you can't pilot this. I mean, you can do run-throughs. No, you really. Can get I mean, access. the development steps really were about how, let's figure out how technically we were going to make this show. You know, you had hired the right people to get on board to figure out, and Dan can tell you about that, how, how we could possibly make this. So that was one step. At the same time was the access step. Um, and getting all those deals, you know, not deals, getting all the paperwork signed with the, the, the cities. So it really was something that started like you said, late 2015, and it just kept moving. Like, it was slow in the beginning, but we just stuck with it. And it wasn't, like, huge development in that way. I mean, we were trying to figure out how we were going to – there was a lot of talk about how we were going to make the show, but it was technically in getting access before anything. And and then it was just getting the right team on board. So it was us meeting with, you know, who was going to – it was important for us for the show to have the journalistic integrity. So you have a mix of people – we talked about this last night – of entertainment people, but a lot of news folks that are working on the show, Right. Um, and then a director that that Dan brought on board, he can tell you about who was a sports director because, you know, you're directing like 30 plus cameras in a control room and it's just so much action happening in the studio. You know, how, how, how could you possibly pull it all in? Um, so there was a great mix that Dan put together of people, a, a talent mix um, that could pull the show off. But the journalistic piece of it was really important to us. So a lot of those people who are sitting in that front deck or back deck have had years, you know, NBC, CNN, ABC News. Well, even all the way to your host. Yeah, right, yeah, right. exactly. Dan was really important to us, and him being a legal analyst is also very important to us. I think those are sort of the key steps in the development of the show. It was access. It was like, how are we going to convince these departments to let us in? And how many do we need, right? We're like, how many are we going to need? And we had multiple people on the team, but it was a process because it's really hard to go in and sit with a department and convince them that what they should really do is let us bring in live cameras and broadcast live when there's nothing to point out and all you're seeing on the TV and the internet is cell phone captured moments that are, you know, not very positive. But there was bold chiefs and sheriffs and departments that really saw, 
you know, the need to let cameras in, that they saw it as an opportunity, not as a risk. Right. They saw it as we have highly trained forces and we're going to give people a chance to experience what a ride along is like. And that was, you know, the thesis for the show was to give every person in America a ride along because I had done some law enforcement programming earlier in my career. And, you know, going on a ride along, it's incredibly thrilling and it's an experience. I mean, it is a lens into America that you just don't get to see unless you're sitting shotgun with law enforcement. And how policing is done differently in every state, you know, in every county. That's kind of fascinating too for them, right? You're right. You get to know, like, look, we ride with a lot of different cops and we switch our cities out from time to time. How many cities have we been in so far? We've been in 30 cities. 30 cities. And we never know. Like we don't cast the show at all. It is whoever they want us to ride with. We don't really know who we're riding with until that night on Fridays. We'll get the sheet of who's riding until we, and we get upstairs in the control room. We know who we're with Fridays and Saturdays. So it's nothing we control. Um, there are regulars in some cities that, you know, want to participate and continue to participate with us, but it's actually really cool to watch how they all handle their business, you know, very and all differently and different styles. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think it's a unique window into their world, but, you know, going back to the development piece, it was access. And then it was, how are we going to do this on a technological level? You know, like, can we actually <laughs> make the show? Yeah. We're attracted to, and I'm definitely personally attracted to those projects that make my stomach hurt. Like that scare me and the idea of failure is very high. And the big piece of the show was like, you know, we'd sold this, at least this development step to A&E and I'm a little bit of a tech nerd. So I'd done a ton of research and I had an idea of how I thought we wanted to do it and how I thought we were going to do it. But we hadn't tested any of this stuff and we didn't know if it was actually going to work. And remember, we were trying to keep it on a budget. So yeah. the crazy thing was like when we decided like that was going to be our air date, we promised we could make that air yeah. date. We had like two weeks where we were going to rehearse, right? And, by, and, and we were like, oh my God. That's when we got it up into the control room for the yeah. first time and had all of our cops in the field and our cameras in the field and all our people. And, there was like, and then we had to run it. And technically so there's it was a, a disaster. Well, and also too, there's a crazy story leading up to this. Right. We had brought in this great guy, Larry Barbasalis, Who's amazing. Yeah. So who, talented. Who has worked on everything from like the Olympics to all sorts of live stuff. As He's like a technological our, our, wonder. As our like tech producer and tech guru. And like he and I had talked a lot when he came in. I had done a little research on and whatnot. And he started to sort of really assess the market. And I knew that we're going to need to figure out how to do it with cellular technology to make it work on a cable price point. Because if you're doing it via satellite, we can't afford rotoscopic satellite transmission, which is crazy cost prohibitive. So really what you would need to do is you would need to have your satellite truck in a fixed location. You'd have to have a helicopter hovering with, over the car with a microwave <laughs> repeater on it. And you would microwave from your car up to the helicopter down to the satellite truck to transmit it. That's the only way, like when you're racing around the city and you have to have a clean line of sight. That's kind of the way you would do it with sat technology. Mm -hmm. But now you're talking about so the old risk. school, doesn't it? Yeah, you're talking about the risk of having helicopters up the Everywhere. full time yeah. and the yeah. noise. Right. And Touching, like, right? Yeah, yeah, and like just the danger, you yeah. know? I mean, all, like, all around. Right. And like the whole thing. Now so, you have to get the FAA, not just right. yeah. know, the police department. So we were like, you know, we want to use cellular technology. And so I had eyeballed this solution that I thought was going to work and we had talked a lot about it and we all felt like we had this, you know, home run and it was this new technology that was like, it was in beta, but it was like just about to be released. And this company comes in and we're talking like, you know, for the initial run of eight episodes, we're talking a, a massive commitment of financial resources that would, you know, sort of launch this company that that's coming into showcase their tech and you know we talked all about the things we needed to do how we needed you know to be able to do multicam and all these things and these guys come in i'm like a couple minutes late for the meeting and you know they're testing it in cars in north jersey where they have people that work for them driving around and there's a monitor set up in our conference room and we walk in i sit down and like everyone's sitting there staring at this monitor that's black <laughs> And, and I'm like, and I'm like, oh, I'm like, you guys didn't need to wait for, for me to start. Like, like, take me through, like what's going on. And Larry's like side eyeing me and he's like, no, no, we, we started. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, and I think it's like late July, August at this point. I like sat there for a minute. I stood up and I walked out and I was like, all right, well, we're clearly not using that to make the show. 
But there was this moment of like, can we actually make this show? Right. So now and, getting the police forces on board was right. the least What's the, the easiest part? Yeah. Well, it's like we solved that. Yeah. <laughs> now actually, can we actually acquire a signal? Right. You could sell this as a live stage show. Yeah. Right. You know, sell tickets all around the country. So, uh, you know, it was really Larry that dug in and figured it out and like, you know, brought some different options to the table. And the first night we tested the gear we use, this Avi West gear, we just had a single camera up with an officer in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And it was like, I don't know, it was like seven thirty, eight o'clock at night. And like, they come grabbing the, my office and they're like, you got to see this, you know? And like, I'm like apprehensive, like, cause I don't know how many more failed tech demos I can sit through. And I walk in and we're like, just watching this guy patrol around. And there was this moment and there was this feeling where there wasn't really anything going on. But you just leaned in because you were like, holy shit. something could go on. You're like, holy shit. Like, oh, he's pulling over to talk to someone. Like, what's going to happen? And I knew right then that if we could figure out how to actually make the show, that the show was absolutely going to work. You know, when you see something and you just have that feeling in your gut and it just, you know, I could have sat there for two hours and just watched this officer on his shift and been completely content. So that was the initial order, right? Eight, two eight hours. Eight episodes, eight two-hour episodes. We had we picked an air date in October of 2016. I don't remember the actual air date, but we were barreling towards yeah. the air date at that point. It was like October 20. Yeah, in the 20, right? And and so sitting in that control room, letting it rip. So we were like, all right, let's just try to get that get, get up the sh- get the show up and running. Like it was a week before, two weeks before. We were we like started two weeks doing before. some run-throughs. Let's just do run-throughs. Let's you know just all sit in the control. Which room. Which is basically like we're doing the show without broadcasting it. Right. We're, right. Trying, we're trying to understand how to make it all work and how to figure right. out the rhythm and the run. But the interesting thing, the eight by two hours is I sort of forced that issue and Shelly Well, it was a cost supported. issue initially too. We yeah. were like, oh my God, how are we going to make this cost? How are we going to afford the show? Right. I was like, it has to be two hours because mm-hmm. that, that's the only way right. you guys are going to stomach. It's cost prohibitive. You're going to stomach the cost per hour of it. And we're going to need to do these run-throughs because yeah. no one's ever done anything like this. Those in, right? And we're, it's going to take us a while to figure out how this actually works. Yeah. And it you was know? rough. Yeah, oh, it was really rough. The beginning was rough. If you go back and watch those first eight episodes we did, I mean, it... We turned the corner like episode four or five and started to... Yeah, it was... The first two weeks were like, whew. Well, listen, you know... (laughs) We we had just six more of these. Yeah. (laughs) Two hours, how long were you going to do this? The first night was... (laughs) Fucking awful. Screaming. Like, uh, the, the uh, control room, there's a lot of screaming in the control room uh, in the beginning. And, like, you know, because the stakes are so high, because oh, it's yeah. like you feel like, I don't know, it's like one of those moments. <laughs> like, you work your whole career, and, like, here's and the moment. And it's been a year. It's been a year. Yeah, moment, and you know? here's the moment, and, like, the stakes are so high. And Bumpy was kind. Yeah. But I went home, 11 o'clock rolls around, we wrap. I have, like, a drink or two at A&E, because we film it out of A&E. And I go home, and... You know, like my wife had gone to a friend's house to watch it, and she was like, "Oh, it, it was pretty good." <laughs> and I was like, "I was like, no, it was fucking awful." And and uh, I mean, there was no way to practice. There was no way we had to get the up and running. It was something nobody in that control, nobody who was part of the show, had ever done before. Well, if you want to do something no one else has ever done before, it's not easy. Yeah, it's not. So I went home and like I wouldn't say I cried, but you know, I more or less. <laughs> Like cried myself to sleep after watching it three times in a row while drinking expensive brown liquor. <laughs> Went to bed somewhere like three and four in the morning, and I was like, "Well, I was like, That's it. well, that could have worked." <laughs> but yeah, Maybe. just the opposite happened, yeah. right? Like Elaine, Rob, Paul, Nancy. I mean, they were like, "We got something here." I think right away, like, yes, as, yes. as terrible as it was for us sitting in that control room and living through that night, like everybody else felt, I think at that moment that we have something here. Oh, and then and, you know you get the. Uh, I just want to add this too. Yeah. You know, we've all gone through it in our careers, but like you get like all the unsolicited notes from yeah. your friends. I'm doing air quotes <laughs> from your friends in the industry. Like, you know what? Like last that. night we shit the bed. What I really need is your notes. <laughs> you know, like that's going to make me feel a whole lot better. We, we knew what was wrong yeah, with the show. Yeah. 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 Right, but there was something there. There was something magical enough that yep. you, obviously you're going to still continue to do the other seven. I mean, yep. how were the ratings out of the gate? Not good. I mean, well, well, here's the thing. <laughs> A&E had really not premiered anything on a Friday or Saturday night. I mean, I had been there a couple of years at that point. And I, I think it had been like six but years since yeah, I had something on Friday Yeah, there was like nothing on Friday night. and Saturday night. So it wasn't like we ever had anything there. So it was definitely better than, you know, doing repeats of whatever we had. But when so, you looked at the cost proposition, right. you know, there's, you know, uh, listen, I, I've said this before and I've said this directly to other networks when they talk about Live PD and ask me how it was developed and whatnot. I do not know if this show would have been successful 
had it been on another network because mm-hmm. most everyone else in the business would have pulled the plug yeah. because, you and know. And we doubled down. Because they didn't, you know, because they didn't get the number in the demo that they needed to get to sort of justify their jobs. Mm-hmm. But yeah. right away, I was like, there's something great here. All right, let's look at this again. How, we love this show. And we how, stabilized a little bit. And, like, stabilized. the show started to get better. But, but it, was it was like, how, but how do we make this work for us? It's like, well, what if we had more hours? You know, so what if we go to three hours? What would that look like? Could you guys go to three we hours? We extended first. So, mm-hmm. so we extended so, to three hours first. No, no, we extended. No, extended no, oh, past the eight we, episodes. We extended yeah, past yeah. eight episodes, like four or five episodes in. I think I think it was more based like on... Like, how do we keep this running? I think it was more based on the show, like the acknowledgement that the show kept getting better and better each week. And the show got better and the numbers were holding and yeah. we were showing, like, from hour to hour, we were yeah. showing improvement. Like, people were coming into the show and they were staying with the show. You look for every little sign you can, right, to say, is something successful or not? Is it working? So they extended the show. You know, the initial order took us to Christmas. And somewhere before Thanksgiving, they're like, we're going to we're gonna pick up another nine weeks. And then we got to January and, you know, Amy, someone internally was like, can we try it? Third hour. And, like... The thing about the third hour was we were going off the air at 11 o'clock at night and there would always be crazy things happening. Yeah, when we went right off the air. Right, when people the get drunk. The later it got, the crazier yeah. it got. Yeah, so the idea was like, oh, should we stay on another hour? Because we're 11, to, 11 to 12 seems, money, you know? Seem, you know, seems crazy. So we went to three hours in January. I think it was January. And then at the end of January, you know, we were starting to show a little more signs of growth. Mm-hmm. Just a little incremental, like nothing crazy. Nothing like, oh, we went up 100,000 viewers last week. It was like we went up 20,000 yeah. viewers. You know, with which in the Nielsen world means like one Nielsen viewer watched the show. But doesn't that speak yeah. to the fact that we all need to give things a chance? Yeah, right? Like here was the show. The first, if you just gave us eight episodes and done, that would have been it for us, it. right? And it would have killed it for the whole yeah. industry. Yeah, like, done. Like it's not like LiPD would have existed because someone else would have then yeah. gone and produced it somewhere else. Yeah. It was, I think, the beginning of February that you guys were like, oh, can we try a Saturday night? Yeah. Like, we ordered we just, two Saturday nights. I think we ordered two. Yeah, let's try two Saturday nights. And, you know, with like no promo... We put it up on a Saturday night and it did the same exact number number. that it did on Friday night without really any awareness. Yeah, this is a show we didn't market in the beginning. Remember, you know how marketing is so hard for everybody these days, especially in the first run of a series. But we didn't market the show for a long time. We got it up and running. It wasn't until, it was probably January, February that we actually did some marketing on it. So it was, we went, you brought up the Saturday shows. And then you guys came back and were like, we want to go to Friday and Saturday. And I think we asked, we're like, hey, we need a couple weeks. We need to add some resources and members to the team if it's going to be a full-time thing. And we added two more cities on the ground. Yeah, so we went from six to to eight eight cities. cities. Not eight cities live, but... Eight cities with crews so that we could push people around. So we could give cities nights off because it's a a huge commitment for these cities to participate. So we wanted to have the flexibility, you know, to say to a department like, oh, you don't have to be live Friday and Saturday nights. You could just be live Friday, Friday night, night this week. So it just Plus gave us a good variety for yeah. the audience, too. It's like they want to be in different and, to, you know, different to change, flavors. To change it up. And so we went to Friday and Saturday nights. And then... That was within six months. From launch in October, like in less than six months, we had gone from was, two hours on a Friday to six hours. That was really... Six, I no, it was less, I think, because we were only like 16 weeks, 15 weeks in. Listen, we did nine hours of the show were two hours. Right. Everything after 109 is a three-hour show. And then I think we went to Friday and Saturday in late February. All right. That was a little later than that. We Maybe March. <laughs> did you start at one in success? I know how hard it was at the beginning to get the, you know, the departments on board. But I would imagine afterwards, even though some fell out, I, I, I imagine many reached out. Right, I think, to I want think to be now on the more than ever. They're reaching out yeah, now. Yeah, na- now. But it took a while. You know, it's, it's, it's still. It's terrifying for them. Yeah. And like, I think it needed to be up and running for a long enough period of time, you know, for departments to really sort of get a sense. For the departments we've been with, it's been tremendous for them because the community has embraced them in a way, right? Yeah. The communities have come out. Like you look at Richland that's been with us from the very beginning, Richland, South Carolina. Like they had a pizza party one night to meet officers (laughs) of Live PD. PD. And like 4,000 people showed up from like four or five different states for like a two hour meet and greet. They thought they were going to get like four or 500 people. And there was a line like around the block. Right. It's turning the police officers into superheroes. In a way that maybe well, we're they careful were, about that, right? Well, it's, it's, it's just it's just the, the community recognizing, I think, actually what their job is like and what they're doing for their community. Listen, I, I think the big difference, and you know, we had the FYC Emmy screening, and we showed this very intense clip from this incident in South Carolina, 
And the one thing that we see night in, night out is almost everywhere we show up, there are people pulling out their, their, phones. their phones and recording the whole incident. And those moments, you're only seeing pieces of them. We're only seeing the pieces they choose to upload or the pieces that they capture. Right. You're, you're not, not seeing, seeing what happened that led up to You're not that seeing the full you're not seeing the full story. And you're not getting the context from yeah. the experts right. on top of that. Yeah. So, I mean, is that your pitch obviously to all these departments? You're going to get the full story, you're going to get the context cuz it's a slippery slope also in that you can't just make a love letter to mm-hmm. policing. Well, we're right? not, I mean, LIPD is not a love letter to policing. I mean, it we very much we took a very similar approach when we did Bomb Patrol years ago is we are agnostic. We right. do not have a point of view. You know, like I look at live PD and there are multiple incidents a night that are a Rorschach test for this country, you know, and half our viewers look at it and mm-hmm. see one thing and the other half of our viewers look at it and see something completely different. And I think the hope is that there's a dialogue about yeah. that law enforcement and drugs and crime and all these things are significant issues that we, we don't like to talk about. And mm-hmm. Um, we have this rabid fan base. Um, what do you think? Like, like we get real time feedback on what we're doing and what our audience thinks of the show. What our view, what our viewers and our fans think of the show through Twitter or through now Reddit's also you know gaining up too. But mostly through Twitter, they've dubbed themselves a Live PD Nation. It's just this group that follow along the show, that support the show, um, and have actively engaged and interact with the show. Yeah, there's over a hundred thousand interactions per episode, not per week, per episode. Yeah. Has that changed your approach for other shows at ATN, or do you think it only works because of the content of this? And Look, the I live? wish we could. I wish we were able to capture, you know, what we have with live PD. I don't think any other show that we have captures it because it is live and because they feel like they're participating in the show. It's 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 active participation. I mean, these people are l- recording the show and slowing moments down, so they're catching drugs being flown out a window. Right, and we and can't that's... see in the control, and we won't even see it. Use that information and like, hey, oh my god, this viewer just, you know, this person on Twitter. Yeah, we don't touch it. We don't touch it. Yeah. They go on Twitter and they go bananas and they, and they show tweet the video out the and they tweet out to the department and send it to the department. And the PIOs in the, in the department's like, oh my God. And they can tell their officers in the field, go back to this corner, drugs thrown out the window. I mean, it's But it's insane. not all bad stuff. We no, have, no, it's not. We have, we've found at least, you know, we've found, I'll say at least three missing children. Yeah. I, I can confirm three, but three, we, yeah. we found more than three yeah. through the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, they you want know, to participate. We've captured... Most wanted, uh, over 11 most wanted. Yeah, yeah 11 mm-hmm. most wanted. And those are additional new features we added only in the last, like, nine months, yeah. 10 months. And, and those were things that, you know, we just started looking at... You start looking at the social interaction with the audience, and you're like, all right... How can we actually speak back to them? Like, yeah. what are the things we can add? And, and, and we like, do live, right? So, so Dan and Tom, even in the control room and sticks, I mean, we, we, well, we're in the control room and they're in the studio. They're reading this stuff. So they can respond in real time to what people are saying or asking. There are questions sometimes, something they're confused about or something they need to know more about. Like, we're pulling all that, you know, in the control room we're doing and in the studio they're doing and giving real-time answers. So it is. It's like the most actively engaged show, I think, other than real news. And I don't even know how much people engage with and news I think in that same way. The thing about the show is the reason why you know it is as social as it is and it works as well as it does is because on any given night, anything can happen. Mm-hmm. And we can't control it. And the audience knows that you know, we're, you know, we're just along for the ride. And we'll be honest, some nights it's slow. And when you're sitting in that control room and there's nothing going on in your six cities, you're like, oh my God, that's, those are the hard nights when which, nothing's going on. It's hard. Which, which, which was a big thing, by the way, you know how when uh, shows get announced and then, you know, people like to talk about their shows before they come out. And then if the show's a success, everyone has revisionist history on the things they said about those shows is there was a lot of industry chatter when Live PD was announced where it was like... Oh, that's gonna be fucking boring. Like, what are you gonna? You gonna watch the officers go get donuts? Right. Like, have you ever been? <laughs> a, have you ever been on a ride along? Because like <laughs> nothing, nothing happens, happens right. on a ride along. And there is some truth to that. But the thing is, we were very thoughtful and and we worked very closely with the network when we were developing the show. And we looked at the show as a math problem. So it's like, how many officers do you need to be with in how many different locations? You know, so that it feels like something new Mm -hmm. is happening every three to four minutes. You know, like I've always been obsessed with, I refer to it as like the reveal wheel. You know, so these shows that are built on these 
two to three minute clocks where it's like something new is happening. Like I think like some of the best hits on, you know, the A&E networks over the years have been because of the reveal wheel. So you look at Storage Wars, you know, and like that was like the ultimate reveal wheel show. Pawn Stars, same thing. It's like because it's, you know, Storage Wars, it's like there's an auction. Someone wins that auction. What's in the container? So it's like we thought a lot about the mechanics of the show and had to sort of stack the deck you know, to give us the best odds that we weren't watching people go get donuts. What I would say, I would, and, and we thought about those packages, right? We're yeah. like, oh my God. So we ride along all week long with the officers, right? So, and we have tons of footage and they bring that back and we cut some of the best moments that happened and we roll those into the show. We're always clear about saying earlier in so that you know that it happened earlier that week. But Paul, I would say Paul, Paul was the one that really pushed for, a, yeah. you guys are going to need a shit ton of packages yeah. to run on the show because if nothing is happening, yeah. you know, you'll have those packages to roll. In the beginning, we thought, really? Are we going to need that many packages? Which like he, but he and Rob were he and Rob huge were really, supporters of Huge. the yeah. of the show yeah. and yeah. It, it is the reason why it's still it was on it, the, it was the reason the why exists. people stayed with it yeah it all, so, yeah. yeah it's you From need that you need that buy in up and down the you know the food chain and yeah. you just don't i think uh because of the climate we're in everyone says they want you know their next big sort of breakout idea but then you see their slates and they're safe like people commission safe things because you don't lose your job, you know, if you, you know, green light the next version of X that is very similar to Y that is working on your network. I'm not going to use show names and, <laughs> and destroy my, uh, my relationship <laughs> sure? with, 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 my, with other people like career. I'd like to sell yeah. shows to. But, okay, and you're right. But Shelly, why is it that AETN as a group seems to have a much higher batting average than really any other place when it comes to swings and, you know, making different types of shows. I think it's the people at the top, right? I think you have people at ATN, at a I can really speak to, you know, with Elaine and, and Paul and Rob and Nancy. And Nancy's not with us anymore, but people who are brave, who are willing to take risks, you know, they don't want to settle for things that feel safe. Exactly what you're saying, we were just the opposite. It's like, you know, we tend to run towards those pants on fire ideas. Like we want that edgy, provocative, oh my holy shit, can we ever make that? Those are the most exciting pitches that come through a room when it's like, when most people are like, oh my God, you can never make that. It's like, oh really? Well, before we say that, like how could we make that is usually, the, you know, when we're sitting in a development room together, it's not, we could never. It's like, well, how could we? Um, and this is a pretty incredible team there at a even with our working with our risk with David Sternbach, a lot of people know David and Kathleen and Kelly and S&P. And like we pull the full team in to say, how can we make this show? Well, that was a big piece. Like legally, you know, David Sternbach, who runs production legal at A&E, he's not a no guy. Mm-hmm. He's a... How do I help you? He's, how do, he's, how do we you? do this? He's sort of like, you might not be able to do it that way, but what are the things we can do? Mm-hmm. Which you don't experience that. Yeah. Lawyers by design are trained to protect the downside right. of the networks they work for. So it's programming, it's legal, and it's standards and practices that come together in a way that I don't think I've seen um, at any other network to try and figure out how we could all lock arms and do this show. Also, the other thing I want to point out, too, is the amazing thing about Shelly. You know, we had I had experienced this working very close. Like, the first project we ever did together was Black Oh, my God, Hurricane Sandy. Remember? Yeah, and we became very close over Hurricane <laughs> We were the only Sandy. people working in New York. Yeah, it was like yeah. everyone else had disappeared. <laughs> you were, like, running to save the drives. They're... Like. they're, they're, they're uh, Homes have been destroyed, and I was like trying to break into like a downtown building to rescue our material and make an air date. Right, because we were crashing towards an air date. By the way, there were half hour shows at that point, and then we were like, oh my God, you're saving the drives. Can you make them an hour? Yeah. And can you still make the air date? So, the amazing thing that Shelly does and did is she creates this creative bubble that, you know, she's like your deflector shield. So, she's filtering all of the voices, you know, some more important than others that come from the various departments throughout the network and, you know, various executives who all, you know, have important opinions and should have their say, but she's creating that filter and and you know, it's like you're not you're not sort of being exposed to the push and pull, you know, as everyone sort of sorts out what the show is. And the thing is 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 when you make a show that's edited, you have that time during you know your first couple cuts, sort of that that whole dynamic to play out, and both as a storyteller and a production company and a network to really decide what the show is. But when you're making a live show, 
the best part is the lack of notes. You know, I mean, like there's real takeaways. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you watch the show and figure it out and we would do that. But, you know, she created this bubble and the team, you know, her and Sean and, you know, Elaine, they created this bubble around the project. So we weren't getting hammered, especially in those early days when it was very when it was easy, easy to hammer us. for someone to walk in and be like, we're paying a lot of fucking money for this show. Yeah. And, and yeah, I'm, but I've always had a great deal of faith and trust in Dan. Oh, always. I mean, from the beginning, he's never let me down. I mean, I would walk into a fire with him. He's just that guy who's always got your back, who's always going to deliver. He'll find a way when there's no way. That's just who he is. So I think there was always a, a level. I think that's what makes us so great together, right? It's this huge level of trust and love. I adore him. So he earned it, right? Oh, my gosh, yeah. So From the beginning, I mean, he earned it before I even, we worked together at a He earned it at VH1. Right. And I'm sure you have many producer relationships and, you know, having known you for a long time, you have a, a lot of love and a lot of energy and a lot of passion. But can you provide that with every single one of your producers? Well, I think you have to. I think it's, you know, it's it's the projects that you get so excited about, right? And the people that, you know, it's easier when you have a history with somebody. Like we just, it was a quick love affair with us, right? Like we just, we fell into this show together and it was like a giant hit for us and a lot of fun in the making. And and I think because of the craziness of what happened in the beginning, I knew like, oh my God, this guy's ride or die. Like it was crazy what happened during Sandy and he was still making everything happen. It was like, he is never going to let me down. You know, they went on, on Black Ink, they went from 10 half hours yeah. to 13 hours. <laughs> hours. And we, you know, we had, we, we had piloted it and we had delivered a pilot in like the spring or summer to get a green lit. And, you know, we've gone into production and it was a half hour comedy. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> And I end up on a call, I think it was during Sandy, like, because Shelly had no one else to talk to. And, and <laughs> That's not true. No. <laughs> no, I don't, mean to, I don't mean to say it like that. So we were talking about the show and, like, and like I was, like, kind of updating around where we're at and how I was dealing with, like, the, you know, delays and when we thought we could start editing again because half of New York was shut down. Literally. And we started talking editorially and she was like, oh, what's your biggest concern? And I'm like... I'm like, we're really struggling with the clock. Like, I've seen a lot of cut-together material. It's an ensemble cast, and I'm really losing cast members episode to episode. And Shelly's like, well, should it be an hour? And I was like, well, should it be an hour, and can we make our air date? Or or should it be an hour? And Shelly's like, don't worry about the air date. Like, we just want to make the best show, and then we'll figure out the air date. And I was like, oh, the show should be an hour. She's like, all right. She's like, well, let's let's talk about that and like figure out, you know, what the costs are to increase in an hour. And so we're going through Sandy, so no one's around. And then, you you know, that happened end of October, beginning of November. And then we're like right on top of Thanksgiving and we're like sending in budgets and all that stuff. And they come back the day after Thanksgiving, that Monday after Thanksgiving. So now it's like December and they're like, listen, we think it should be an hour. And we think it's really important that we keep our air date of like January 7th. And, you know, we had not delivered, we had not even delivered the second half hour episode to the network yet. (laughs) So I was, (laughs) we were like, Um, we're like, but you did it. That was what our relationship was born. Yeah. Right. It was the crazy race to like keep shooting and producing that thing. Yeah. It's always been trial by fire. You know, you tested it and and he came through. So is that the way to save TV? More executives like you and and more producers like Dan? I I don't know. I mean, not save TV, but (laughs) but turn things around. No, it's great when you have that, right? When you have a production, when you have a production company that or a a producer that works the way he does and you have a net, you have networks that are willing to take risks and back their partners. It, It is, look, we're all in this together. Right. Everybody wants to win. And, and I think that when you embrace each other and bring each other along, that's when you're successful. Right. I, I, I've, I've always been from that school where I'm at, where I do what I do because I love what I do and I just want to have fun. And so if you can have fun making television, then you're probably doing the wrong thing or you're I, working with the wrong people. I right? also have the opposite approach of the us versus them. Like we have a problem. Yeah. We're in this Ratings together. Are declining. Yeah. Like we need yeah. to we need to come together and solve it. I approach all of my interactions trying to understand how it works for everybody involved. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like Amy has, you know, budget and ratings targets, uh, you know, as does Big Fish. You know, I think there's a way, you know, to come together and Make solve it work for both of us. I also look at it as like, you know, there's a lot of people looking at this downturn in ratings and, and you know, sort of thinning out of the number of networks and, and what networks are buying and some of the outlets and have a very sort of doom and gloom approach and feeling towards the industry. I look at it as 
opportunity. I mean, you know, it's an opportunity to disrupt and change what's going on, you know, so it's, you're not going to find me, you know, sort of crying in my soup, you know, just in your whiskey. Yeah. Yeah. Bourbon. Nice bourbon. My whiskey at three in the morning (laughs) when I've really failed. Sort of like the biggest thing I've ever launched in my career. Yeah. That's usually where you'll find me. I think that's like a good example. You know, for me, like that first night was just like, all right, we're going to knuckle under and if they give us another two weeks, we're going to make them the best two weeks we can and just keep sort of pushing. But I also think when we had a gazillion networks and a gazillion producers and production companies that, you know, what we suffered from was mediocrity. And I think the projects that are getting through now and the best stuff that's being made, you know, is being made by, you know, the right producers and the right companies and the right executives. And the bar just keeps getting higher and higher, right? I mean, that's the struggle for us now. It's like, okay, what's next? What's next? What do we do next? You know? But listen, for years, I tried to sell law enforcement programming to A&E and and Elaine had Well, the gold standard really was First 48, right? It's been on the air for over 10 plus years at A&E and it was the gold standard. But that was always the feedback. Right. How do you beat that? We had development stuff that would would be great. Uh, You know, some of those departments ended up in live PD. They did. And we uh, we had development stuff that we had previously developed for A and E that were great shows, yep. and probably would have worked on 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 some level. But mm-hmm. it was always first forty eight is our gold standard. Mm-hmm. Like we make the gold standard in crime, yep. and we're not going to do anything less than that. Yep. You have to figure out it's the same thing with drugs. Like with intervention, it's been on the air for so many years. It's it's nomi- Emmy nominated every year. The show is incredible. So every time we're pitched an idea around drugs, it's like, well, how do we best intervention? Right. You know, so when you have those gold standards, like Annie's lucky to have a few of them. Now with Live PD, it's like, oh, but, uh, hell, how do you top that? You know. But I think when you asked about the success of A and E, is it's their it's their purposeful lack of appetite for derivatives. They didn't go out and make four drug shows when Intervention first started working. Right. Right. They didn't have seven bounty hunters when. Right. Know, we want to be best. If we can't be first, we always have to be best. But first and best is the goal. Okay, so things are changing clearly. You know, it's a little different than when we all started out. Shelly, we'll go with you first. What advice would you give to someone starting out today? 25-year-old Shelly comes to you asking for some feedback. What would you tell her? Just be aggressive. It's like you can't stop, right? You just have to... You know, it's funny. I, I have a nephew who, like, when he wanted to kind of get into the biz, and he's a writer now, and I was always like, well, you better have a B plan, right? I always tell people, just always have a B plan. But when you can be aggressive and really put yourself out there and meet a lot of people and just read, be a voracious reader and viewer and take in everything, and I think a lot of the best stuff people are coming up with are the stuff they're just these small ideas that they're coming up with on their own that they think might not be possible, and just somehow, you know, finding the people that can help push that show, push that idea further, right? Just, you don't have to do everything on your own. Don't, you don't have to do anything alone. Just find people who either agree with you or not agree with you to make your idea better, but team up with folks when you feel like you have something and, and don't give up on it. I think people tend to, when they don't get far enough with something, some of our best ideas have taken a year, a couple of years in development. And I think people get tired after a while and don't want to see things through. And I think some of the biggest hits in my career have been those ideas that have taken two plus years. It's, I, I think it's just not giving up. I think people are too quick sometimes when things get too hard to not really see things through or not think of how they could change something to make it better, you know? How about you, Dan? 25-year-old Dan. 25-year-old Dan. I think the industry has changed tremendously, but it's sort of come back around. You know, so like 24, 25-year-old Dan came up in the dock side of the business where it was like very small run-and-gun teams where you had to be able to do everything, you know, it's like you had to be able to, you know, it's like I learned how to shoot. I learned how to right. edit. Audio. I taught myself QuickBooks, you know, so I could make extra money at night and and enter all of the small com- production companies, you know, I was working at, you know, transactions, you know, which also gave me an insight into how their whole budgeting process worked, how the whole world worked. I mean, you know, I was like, I aid for extra money and, and all of that stuff. And then I think when you go back a couple of years, like there was like this period in the middle where you had people coming up in the industry, like that had never been in post or, you know, they worked on these really big shows with mm. these massive crews and they'd only done piece of it. this one piece of the job and it just makes you incomplete. And, you know, I think there's tremendous opportunity out there for the you know, for the people that are, are going to be hungry and they're not going to stop. Yeah, but also I encourage people to to really 
not get stuck on a track to like, you know, Especially embrace, when you're young, right? embrace Especially. opportunities because you don't know what you like and you don't actually right. never, uh, you know, you don't always necessarily know yeah. what you're going to be best at. And the thing is, is, is I feel like part of the reason why I can be effective in my role is I've held almost every job on a production. I can write a budget. I can edit. I can, I can shoot. The only thing I'm really sort of awful at is I'm an awful audio person. Like, like that is the one Turn thing. Turn the mics up. Like, I probably couldn't even manage this podcast. I'd, I'd fuck up the levels. It's like, but I But you're think, right. I say that to the coordinators because, you know, in, in a network, right, you're only seeing one side of, they're not on the field. They're not in the edit. They don't see how a show's really being made. They're only seeing it come in, and they're really great at learning how to note something and how to make something better. That's a whole nother talent, right? But I encourage them at that young age. It's their first job. It's like, you know what? Maybe after a year, you want to go work for a production company. You want to start from the ground up. You know, start driving, driving the van, getting the yeah. coffee. You know, like, just start with those shit jobs and work your way. But just learn how a show is made. Truly yeah. learn. I think being scrappy yeah. and like just having like a can do, I want to do it attitude. Yeah. I think my, you know, my approach has always been, I'm not sure if I'm going to be the most talented person in the room or on the job. But I'll be the hardest working. Yeah, but I'm going to outwork everybody, yeah. you know, and, and no one's going to outwork me. Mm-hmm. And, and you learn a ton, you know, through that as well. Okay, so last question. As discussed, originally it was eight, two hours, once a week, every Friday night. Now it's six hours a week, and basically every Friday and Saturday night of the entire year. How do your spouses and your families feel about never, wow. ever seeing you It's so ever much again? worse for You mean the Live PD widows? <laughs> yeah. So there you have it, the true story of Live PD. Thanks to Greg Mercer for creating our show art, and to Chris Carmichael for composing our music and for all things technical. You can find their respective work at gregorymercer.com and christophercarmichael.com. Thank you as well to my guests, Shelly Tatro and Dan Cesario, and to my wonderful family for all their love and support. Also, please do subscribe to Exec Producer wherever you get your podcasts, and follow us on Instagram at EP with NP. And since collaboration is at the heart of this project, I'd love to hear from you, the listeners. Please reach out with what you liked, what you didn't like, and any ideas for future episodes. So thank you again for listening, and please come back next time. I'm your host, Noah Pollock. Choose kind. <laughs>